Wednesdays with Walton on Scoops with DannyMac.com. We visit with Brian Walton of TheCardinalNation.com. Does an amazing job covering the Cardinals minor league system. Also an eye on the major league club. And let's jump right into it. Good morning, Brian. How are you? I'm doing great, Dan. It's a pleasure to join you each Wednesday through the season and through the offseason as well. Absolutely. We don't miss these Wednesdays. So I, I got to ask you, what do you think about the Pujols home run last night? I mean, that's an exciting moment. And let's face it, some number of those, what, what, what they have in this 40, 45,000, some number of you know those folks in the stands wanted to see that very thing. They were there. Yeah, they're Cardinals fans, but they wanted to see Albert Pujols, age 42, probably his last season as a professional, and relive some of the glory. And it's just great to see Albert used where he can be most successful against left-handed pitching. And he, you know, he came through with those three hits, including that big home run. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking with Ali Marmol and he said, the temptation is, and I, I said, if I was managing, my temptation would be, I'd probably want to overuse him because I'm seeing him in BP. I, I like his at bats against right-handers. And he said the same thing. He said, that's going to be kind of the, the thing he's going to have to check himself is that we believe he's in great shape, looks great. Uh, but you can't overuse him. Like you said, he's 42, so use him in the spots that make sense. And, you've, you know, you've got to remember that you've got to keep your bench sharp as well. Sure. Lars Newtbar, who was a big contributor last season, hasn't been able to get on the field yet. Now, he was scheduled to start in the rained-out game, but, you know, you've got to make sure that, that those guys stay fresh and that when they're called on to contribute, they can play as – you know, they'll be ready to go as well. Hey, Brian, I don't think I asked you about this. Do you remember Ali as a player, number one, in the minor leagues? And number two – what was your takeaway as a young manager? At one point, he was the youngest manager in professional uh, baseball. So those two things, as a player in the minors and then as a manager. Uh, Ollie was a second baseman, came from University of Charleston, uh, and, you know, was a, was a good player defensively, didn't have the bat that was going to take him forward. But he was an intelligent player, uh, always down to business. You know, I, I never saw Ollie, like, yucking it up and goofing around. I mean, he was always focused on the game, and he seemed to be, uh, you know, in the early on working with Mark DeJean, who's a longtime uh, player development leader who's since retired, and with Mike Schild and others, you know, really trying to understand the nuances of the game. And I, I don't know exactly when Ollie decided he was going to make that transition, but, you know, he knew pretty quick. I don't think he advanced beyond high A. He knew that he wanted to stay in the game, and the way to do that was to was to coach and to manage. And uh, you know, it's great to see him progress. I'm sure this is beyond his wildest, wildest expectation that he was able to uh, progress so quickly. And he's obviously in a position of great responsibility as a manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, you know, he told me, he said, I would have been happy just being a bench coach or a coach in the minors or manage. He said, whatever they wanted me to do, I was willing to do whatever they wanted. I, I just love the game of baseball. I love the Cardinals organization. I love having the job. He's very mild-mannered, very even-keeled. Don't take it for I love – Rick Horton always says to me when I give him trouble for playing golf, he says, now don't confuse meekness with weakness, and that's what he says to me. And I kind of feel the same thing with Ollie. There's a burning desire to win and an intensity to win. So the outward manner of how he holds himself is not necessarily what's probably happening behind the scenes. Well, and I, you know, I don't consider Oliver Marmol weak in any way. Um, well, meek, I'm not meek, saying that, meek. and I'm not Sorry, saying that meek, either. Meek. Yeah, I'm not saying yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, he's very calm demeanor is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely, he is. And, you know, you want a leader. I mean, I get the rah-rah, you know, slap him on the back, you know, scream at the top of your lungs kind of guys, but, that you know, that's not the cardinal way, right? The cardinal way is to be professional and to, and to you know, always respect not only the – game but the opponents as well and so 
you know, Marmol's a guy that's going to be right down to business and he's going to expect the same from his players. And with a veteran team like the Cardinals, you know, you're going to get that anyway. And he's not going to have to go around and, you know, tell the Paul Goldsmiths and Nolan Arenado, you know, how to, how to conduct themselves. But everybody's watching, right? They're watching the young players are watching the, the, the leaders on the team. And they're also watching the manager and the coaches and the Cardinals have a, you know, an experienced group of coaches around Oliver Marmol. We can't forget the impacts of the, the Willie McGee's and the stubby claps and the pop Warners to, you know, keep that team, uh, you know, all focusing forward. Brian, uh, it's just underway, just like the major league season, but uh, what has stood out early on for the minor leagues of the St. Louis Cardinals at, at any level or any player? Well, we're seeing some of the young pitchers um, start to step up and play. You know, that the Cardinals really focused on pitching in the 2020 uh, one draft, but most of those players didn't get a chance to really do much because they had already pitched in their college seasons, and so the Cardinals always take care with them in the first year. But we've seen uh, Michael McGreevy now uh, have a nice start. Um, Austin Love and Zane Mills are also getting action. Gordon Graceffo, who really pitched well last year at Palm Beach, has now moved up to Peoria. So, you know, a number of these young arms uh, in 2021, it's drafted. It's going to be fun to watch them this season. I uh, I really loved what I saw out of Jacob Basiokovic. Hopefully I said that right. But uh, he was very good in spring training, really caught the eyes of a lot of people with the Major League Club. Um, but he goes on the IL. What's what's happened with him? Yeah, we haven't really heard what the nature of his injury is. But Jacob Basiakovich is a is a player who was drafted way back in 2016 by the Rockies. The Cardinals picked him up in the 2019 Rule Five draft in the minor league phase. He's a guy that you figure you know he's going to bounce around the system. Uh, he spent most of last season between Springfield and and Memphis, but really you know impressed the Cardinals as you said he was a non roster invitee to camp and he. Uh, Basiakovich went down to Memphis and he saved their first two um, wins of the year. So he was in a position of uh, significant responsibility for the Memphis Redbirds, but unfortunately had to go on the injured list. Hopefully uh, he won't be out long. You mentioned Rule 5, and uh, the Rule 5 draft did not take place this year, so guys like Luke and Baker, Delvin Perez are still uh, in the Cardinal system that's going to be kind of interesting because that's where you can pick up some, uh, you know, guys that aren't headline makers, but all of a sudden you get them in your system and and they develop and maybe it's a change of scenery, different voices in their ear, whatever. But it is kind of interesting to see how that will play out. Yeah, and, you know, in recent history, I think John Brebbia probably, uh, who's with San Francisco now, reliever, was the was the uh, poster child for why the Rule 5 draft, you know, benefits teams. The Cardinals picked him up, I think, from Arizona. Didn't really have much of an opportunity, but with St. Louis, performed well and was a was a good piece in the bullpen. And that's really what the Rule 5 draft is about. It's about guys who maybe are buried in an organization and they've reached the point in time in their careers where they're not quite ready for free agency yet, but it gives um, an organization a chance to take a guy who – maybe um, didn't have, you know, there wasn't a place for them on one team's 40-man roster, but maybe another team is willing to take a chance on them. And I think Luke and Baker, maybe to a lesser extent, Delvin Perez are guys that would have been exposed had the major league phase of the Rule 5 draft been held. Uh, but, but because it didn't happen, because of all the, you know, rush and schedules, because of the lockout, uh, that gives them another season to develop in the Cardinals system. Uh, another guy who would have been in that boat is catcher Julio Rodriguez, who we saw you know, strong defensive catcher and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to hit enough, but he was a guy who was one of Julio Rodriguez was one of the last cuts from spring camp. He actually stayed with St. Louis longer than uh, Yvonne Herrera, who's the top catching prospect in the system. So there are some good guys who, you know, kind of just aren't quite ready to make that final step. 
uh, Juan Yepes, for example, you know, kind of hopped over Luke and Baker, but that doesn't mean that Baker's not a, a good prospect. And, you know, we're going to see how he does in the power department for Memphis this year. We, uh, for some fans, maybe they saw the, the first time of Andre Pallante. Maybe they don't pay attention to what's going on in spring training, and I get it. That happens a lot, and they say, okay, I'll start paying attention uh, when the, the games count for real. So Andre Pallante made this team. Tell us a little bit about him. Uh, he made his Major League debut this past week, but uh, Andre Pallante, a guy that, uh, like Jake Walsh and some of these others, um, they're very, very high on. Hard thrower and has pretty good stuff. That's right. The, the St. Louis Cardinals have done really, really well in their drafts, you know, identifying players, you know, maybe from who aren't from the, the, the biggest schools that have the highest profile. But, you know, uh, Palante was a guy that they took in the fourth round in, in 2019, 125th overall. So you say, well, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, not the, the visibility of the first round. He played for Cal Irvine, which is a, a decent program played in the, uh, the, summer showcases, Cape Cod League, et cetera, drew some eyes there. But uh, he jumped over both Class A teams last year, which told you right away, hey, that was, you know, I mean, he began uh, 2021 with double A and was exceptional pitching in the Springfield rotation. Um, and, and then, you know, had the opportunity at the end of the season to pitch briefly with Memphis. Then I think the Arizona Fall League was where he really began to showcase and his fastball that was in the mid nineties, all of a sudden was uh, in the upper nineties uh, has good cut. And then he's got a curveball and a slider as well. And in the Arizona fall league, he ended up, um, you know, getting the opportunity to start when Jordan Hicks left the league after a few outings and, you know, was named to the, the fall leagues, fall stars game. So he was Andre Palante was, was ranked our number 13 prospect over the winter. So we, you know, we've been watching him for some time. And uh, as you mentioned, he impressed so much in camp that he was added to the 40-man roster and made the team in the bullpen. And as a result, he got a promotion from his number 91 in spring camp (laughs) to a more uh, respectable number 53. There you go. That's what happens. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about some of the guys that uh, I do think we're going to see them at some point this year, whether it's ineffectiveness from others or the fact that somebody gets hurt, whatever. It always happens. But... Juan Yepes and Nolan Gorman, a lot of talk about them maybe being a combo DH of some sort when we went to camp, but they start at AAA Memphis. How about those two guys and how they're starting? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Dan. I, I'm not inside these guys' heads, but I know that if, if I were them, both Juan and Nolan, they're guys who are on the cusp of the major leagues. There's no doubt about it. We know they're going to be major leaguers. It's just a matter of when the opportunity presents themselves. And the way the roster and, and some of the additions came, uh, certainly the addition of Albert Pujols affected Juan Yepes's opportunity to make the team. And then, uh, you know, the decisions that were made on uh, bringing in uh, additional help in the outfield, potentially block Gorman as well. But those guys are going to get their chance with St. Louis. But, you know, maybe there's a little bit of disappointment there. I, Nolan Gorman has been a hot and cold player. He struck out 10 times in his first 20 at-bats. So, uh, you know, he's, he's having a little bit of strugglings, but he also hit a couple home runs and has a decent OPS of 898. So, you know, a slump for Nolan Gorman would be a good season for a lot of players. Sands the strikeouts. You, you want to see him definitely cut down on those. Um, Juan Yepes has the same problem. Again, you know, 12 strikeouts and 24 bats. So he's probably a little bit over-anxious, probably trying to show maybe a little too much, but you know, he's still getting the job done. Even if his numbers don't look good, he's driven in six runs in six games. And he's a guy that you want to put in the middle of your lineup and you expect him to, to bring in runs. 
How about Matthew Libertor? I know he made a start. I'm assuming his turn in the rotation is probably coming up again, or if it hasn't already. Yeah, Matthew Libertor, uh, because Memphis opened the season uh, a few days ahead of the other affiliates, Libertor has actually already made two starts. And, uh, you know, he's improved his, uh, increased his pitch count. He went three and a two, three and two thirds in his first outing and then went a full five innings in his second outing. Most recently, uh, he had a really nice game. He allowed two runs in five innings, uh, struck out six, uh, zero walks, kept the ball down. Uh, the vast majority of his outs were, um, via the ground, uh, via the ground ball or strikeouts. And that was uh, last night at Charlotte, which by the way, was an interesting game in that, the Memphis Redbirds are playing in Charlotte this week, and they are the club that AAA that is exper- that is experimenting with the ABS system, the automated ball strikes uh, system. So Libertor's game was actually called uh, by the computer, and uh, the umpire, home plate umpire, has an earpiece that uh, tells him uh, how to call the balls and strikes, uh, an indication of the future of the game, perhaps. Yeah, for sure. Is uh, have you heard any much you know noise about that one way or another? I know it's been used at other levels, Arizona Fall League as well. Have you have you heard anything about it? Yeah, I watched it. Actually, they used it. One of the minor league games got moved into the main Roger Dean Stadium one morning, and so I was there and watched them. And there were a couple of major league baseball officials that were sitting right there by the Cardinals dugout and the umpires would come over between innings and they would talk about it and they're calibrating and they're, you know, discussing it. So, you know, it's, it's a work in progress, but I think there's no reason why technology can't be used to, to better the game as long as there's still the opportunity uh, for appeals and, you know, for teams to feel like they're getting, you know, a fair chance to uh, express their concerns. The Lou Fuse Automotive Network. They have new, pre-owned, commercial trucks, custom vehicles, stress-free car shopping. It's all with Lou Fuse. Head to Fuse.com to see the dealership near you. And don't forget about what they do for our community with Fuse Athletic. It's Lou Fuse, St. Louis's number one car dealer. Lou Fuse, we are St. Louis. Lou Fuse, we are St. Louis. Hey, it's Dan McLaughlin, and I want to remind you about Rottler. It is pest season, and that means you need to go to the most trusted pest control company in the Midwest, and that is Rottler. Rottler Rottler.com. Because we care. Do you have a waterproofing issue in your basement? Stratum Structural Systems is there to help. It's why they're the number one waterproofing company in the Midwest. They put the customer's interest first, provide lasting solutions, and eliminate the homeowner stress. StratumRepair.com. Because we care, your trusted source for basement repair. It's Stratum. Brian, you have the uh, the privilege, and I, I think it's a privilege, to be part of the Red Ribbon Committee. There's only a couple of more days before fan voting is done for the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Uh, Matt Holliday was added to that list this year. Uh, tell us behind the scenes. What First of all, let's, let's go with this. What is the Red Ribbon Committee, and, and what do you guys do? How, do? how does it all work? Well, it's a group of, of primarily media folks, most of whom have been around the game a long time, certainly Rick Hummel, of the Post-Dispatch is the dean of that group, but other folks like uh, Bernie Miklas and uh, Derek Gould and, you know, many others who followed the Cardinals for some time, along with some very, very important um, former Cardinals officials. And I'm talking about Whitey Herzog, uh, Tony Arusa, Joe Torrey, of course, Red Shandies when he was still with us. And those guys, you know, they have personal experience about the players that are being discussed for the Hall of Fame 
you know, we certainly see this, you know, saw what we saw watching uh, games in person and on TV and looking at stats. But, you know, there's nothing like asking Whitey Herzog, hey, what was George Hendrick like in the clubhouse? What was George Hendrick like with young players? So, you know, it's a very interesting give and take discussion. And, and there's two groups of players that we discuss. One are the modern era players. And those are the players that appear on the uh, fan ballot. Those are the players that are most recently retired from the game. And then the, we also look at the uh, prior era players, the, the older players, and we actually uh, select one player from that group to join the Hall of Fame. Then there's a third group, which is people who contributed but don't fit in the player category. And the, the DeWitts basically decide uh, if someone like that, you know, in the past it's been a Mike Shannon, a George Kissel, those types of individuals. And it looks like there may be a Hall of Fame uh, member coming in from that group as well. So this year there could be three actual members of the Hall of Fame. And the for the modern era, there are, are five candidates this year, Steve Carlton, uh, George Hendrick, Matt Holliday, Matt Morris, and Edgar Renteria. And the voting ends this Friday, so certainly encourage folks to go in and, and vote for their favorite. I think we all realize that Matt Holliday is a is probably a, a, a heavy favorite, but, you know, you look at some of the guys numbered, like George Carlton, uh, Steve, excuse me, Steve Carlton, when he pitched uh, for the Cardinals, you know, he was a little bit overshadowed maybe by Bob Gibson, a tremendous pitcher, and, you know, on his own right, it's sort of like Keith Hernandez in a way that, that he was very famous with another team, obviously Carlton with the Phillies, but if you just look at his contributions as a Cardinal alone for the seven years he was with the team, Steve Carlton was a, you know, very, very high performer, and each of the players, I won't go through them all, but, you know, each of the guys, you know, have their own strong resumes. Matt Morris, who you know, led the rotation in years when the teams weren't quite as strong. Now, Edgar Renneria, who Tony LaRusso used to call the captain of the team, a quiet, quiet leader who was very effective. So, you know, each of these guys will be in the Hall of Fame at some point in time, but the fans get to decide who goes in this year. You know, I, I'm going to throw something at you. Um, let's just say, for argument's sake, that Molina, Wainwright, Pujols, they all retire this year. We know two of them. They've said this is it. But let's just say they all three do it this year. Uh, it's the Cardinals Hall of Fame. It's not baseball's Hall of Fame. Would you forego the waiting period for those three and put them all in together, let them all go in together? And, and it's a two-part uh, uh, issue with this and a good issue. One, they've been the face of this great run for a couple of decades. But two, I wouldn't want to take away from anybody else that maybe would be part of that. So I might as well just put all three of them in blow it out and say, you guys are red jackets immediately. What do you think? Well, you know, I think that's the question for Bill DeWitt the third and <laughs> Bill DeWitt Jr. You know, if it were up to me, I would say, and I think they know, I mean, in, in informal conversations, I get the feeling that they're willing to consider adjusting the rules for an extraordinary case like that. Uh, I don't think they would make them wait three consecutive years, you know, to be voted in. I haven't been in any, involved in any discussions about shortening the time window. Um, but this is just a crazy again, idea I, I have. I, I, don't, I, I, don't think, I don't think it's that crazy, Dan. I really don't. It, you know, the thing about that, uh, the five-year, you know, the three-year waiting period, it, it's a five-year waiting period. It's just, in some cases, maybe it's needed because you need time to think about a guy's contribution or maybe there's high emotions if there's been an untimely death or something like that. But I don't think there's any doubt that 
three years from now, five years from now, 50 years from now, those three guys are, are Cardinals Hall of Famers. So, yeah. you know, I, I think we'll, it'll be interesting to see what the DeWitts do about that. I know they've already started thinking about it. Absolutely. Uh, okay, I'm going to wrap it up with this. You've got uh, the prospect guide, which is out right now. It's awesome to go through your top prospects and to get all the background on those kids. But also, uh, there's always content on your site, thecardinalnation.com, every single day. So what's happening right now? Well, as you mentioned, the prospect guide, uh, 276 pages of information about last season, about the top prospects in the system, about history. Just, It's just a – I'm very, very proud of the guide. And we've put together a bundle for those of you who may have considered subscribing to the Cardinal Nation in the past but haven't done it. If you buy the prospect guide and subscribe for a year, we'll knock 25% off the one-year subscription price, which is the, the best price we've ever offered. So that gives you a full year of – of access to all the news. We, we provide new content, multiple articles on the St. Louis Cardinals and the minor league system 365 days a year. And what's going, what's new this week is our group of five minor league reporters, beat reporters in the various locations are uh, providing their first team reports on what they're seeing in the dozer parks and uh, AutoZone parks of the system as they're attending all the games locally. So each day of the week, uh, Peoria, then Palm Beach, excuse me, uh, Palm Beach on Tuesday, Peoria Wednesday, Springfield Thursday, Memphis Friday, all season long, in-depth report from our local reporters. Awesome stuff, Brian. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch you up next Wednesday. You got it, Dan.